please take your Bibles and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. I was hoping to get through, and I did mention I pretty much went through the entire verse, but you know what? I wanted to focus a little bit more on the last part of 1 Timothy 3 because we really didn't get into that much. And we're looking at here, you know, uh, basically requirements for elders. Uh, but I mentioned to you over and over again, it's applicable to all of us because uh, many of the attributes that are looked for in leaders, elders, past pastors, are what uh, we are called to be as men and women of God for the most part, even though there's designated roles that are different for men and women in the Scripture. Uh, as far as holiness goes, uh, many of the things you see here that our elders called to, uh, all of us are called to to one degree or another, uh, most of these things, I would say. So in 1 Timothy 3, we've looked at the first few verses and I want to look at the end of verse 3 now, but let's read the first three verses. It's a trustworthy statement. If a man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine. I think we did two or three messages on that. Or pugnacious, uh, but gentle, peaceable. We've covered all of that, but I really wanted to hone in on the last part of verse 3. Uh, because just as I spent some time on alcohol, because that's a huge problem in the church today, people getting drunk in the name of Jesus, thinking, oh, well, Jesus turned water into wine. He must be getting people drunk, which he was not. Uh, therefore, I can get drunk, even though the Bible says drunkards don't be deceived. Drunkards will not inherit God's kingdom. We spent some time on that. But another huge problem, especially in the church in America, and not just the American church, man. This is a church, this is around the world because you can be incredibly poor and still struggle with a, it warns that they're to be free from what? Free from the love of money. Amen? Free from the love of money. And you know what? It's just, it doesn't say they can't have money or be rich. You know, Jesus saved some rich people, although it's very hard for a rich person to get into the kingdom of God, Jesus said. We'll talk about that a little bit. Uh, but uh, so a lot of people think, well, you know, I'm not, I'm not, you know, rich, so I'm, I'm good. Well, he didn't say rich here. He says free from the what? Love of money. Okay. Last thing we want in our fellowship among leadership is people that love money more than God. Amen. Or people that just love money, uh, because that destroys not only the soul of the person, but it destroys families, destroys households. It destroys churches. You know, a lot of times churches make business people, the most successful business people in the church, they make them leaders because that keeps the money in the church. And as I said to you before, I, I'm not interested about keeping the money in the church. I'd rather make sure God is, is in the church, amen, <laughs> because uh, he's the one that takes care of us, amen. And what happens is, uh, is if we seek first the kingdom of God, Jesus said, and his righteousness, he'll add all of our needs to us. Amen. We have to be very, very careful because uh, guess what? Compared to most of the world, everyone in here is rich. That's a fact, man. I mean, you just go, we go on mission trips, man, and it just breaks your heart when you see how poor a lot of the people are. But then you see that, Vic, good to see you, Vicki. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I'm so sorry. I do that sometimes when I haven't seen someone for a while. And she hails all the way from, man, you're from a long way away, Georgia, right? Well, praise the Lord. You know, I'm sorry we got all the rain coming down here. But great to see you, by the way. You look great. Uh, the, the key, you guys, is making sure, man, that we put Christ first in everything. The greatest of the commandments is love the Lord your God with the whole heart, soul, all your strength, all your mind. Your neighbor is yourself as likened unto it. The first of the Ten Commandments is to have no other gods before him. Amen? And when we wake up in the morning, what do we think about? how much we get and how much we have and how much more we can get? Or do we think about serving the Lord, seeking Him, and living for His glory? This, this, this life is a blink, man. We're here just a short time. It says it's a vapor. Amen? So it's so important that we do not get caught up in all the consumerism and all the materialism that's in the world. And so much the church does. You know? And, you know, the, the, you know, the man of God in the Old Testament said, Lord, don't give me too little, you know? to where I'm tempted to steal. But don't give me too much where I forget you. Isn't that amazing? And uh, a lot of people think, man, well, we don't get really a whole lot of uh, trials and persecution in this country because we have so much affluence. But affluence 
can be a huge curse to many, many people. Paul said, I learned the secret on how to be abased and how to abound, how to deal with little and how to deal with much. See, he didn't just look at poverty as something that the enemy could wield against him to distract him from God. He also looked at affluence as a potential stumbling block. And certainly Jesus addresses that issue a lot, you know. And all of us as Christians, we have to make, we have to make sure that Christ is first in our life. You know, you might say, well, man, I don't really have a problem with money, but maybe you have a, a problem with, you know, anger. Or you have a problem with sexual perversion. Or you have a problem with something else. Anything you put before God is idolatry. Amen? And thank God Jesus promised, well, he warned us that if we have, we're going to be his disciples in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. We must deny ourselves, amen? Must take up our crosses and follow him. Deny ourselves daily, amen? Take our crosses and, and, and you know, deny ourselves daily. Follow him. And that's not, there's a lie out there right now that's just been permeating the churches for decades now, which is such a, a lie, is that, well, you know what? You don't really need to be a follower of Christ to be saved. You just need to accept the gift. But you don't have to repent. You don't have to follow Christ. You don't have to, you know, there's a, you don't have to be a disciple, which is, I'm sorry, that is so far off. You don't even see that taught in church history until recently, you know? And uh, a lot of people are in trouble because they're coming to church, but they're not following Christ. They believe that they're saved, and they're all wrapped up in all the, the greed of, you know, the greed of idol the idolatry of greed. And Christ isn't first in their lives. And we have to be real here, brothers and sisters. We need to make sure that we are truly following Christ, and he is first in our lives. And you can know whether he's first in your lives when it comes to money. And you can know that. One of the ways you can test yourself is, do I break God's moral law to get more money? Do I break God's moral law to get things? And that would show that you're saying, God, I don't love you enough. Jesus, if you love me, obey my commandments, right? But if you're saying, hey, I'm going to break his moral law to get things, well, that shows that you're committing idolatry because you're putting those things before God's word. And that's very, very important to, to understand. And, and by the way, this is a problem in the end days because the scriptures say in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, Paul said, know this, that in the latter days or last days, difficult times will come. As the King James says, perilous times will come. Remember, we lovers of self, remember that? Covetous, there it is, boasters, proud, blasphemers, and so forth. Uh, the NASB says, for men, we lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant. Sounds like a rap song. Lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, right? All that, man. And that's the popular culture right now. A lot of the music that's out there promotes just greed and idolatry. This is serious. It permeates the church. And you might say, well, yeah, I'm not into that music that's all pumping, you know, all about greed and everything else. But, you know, your kids may be. A lot of young people uh, in churches, even a church like ours, where we emphasize separation from the wickedness of the world, there's still a problem with our young people getting brainwashed into that mentality. Guard your hearts, but also help your children to guard their hearts. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 6 a little bit later because Paul expounds on this and he warns about those who are men of constant friction. Uh, you can pick it up in verse 5. 1 Timothy chapter 6, 5. They have constant friction between men of depraved minds or deprived, uh, deprived of the truth who suppose that godliness is what? Notice what it says? They suppose that godliness is a means of what? Of gain. I think the NIV says a means of what? If you have the NIV, what's it say? Financial gain? Nobody has the NIV, the non-inspired version. No, it's, 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 it's a pretty good translation, uh, actually. In fact, it's funny because James Jackson just texted a few of us that uh, he put a Bible in the concrete uh, foundation of the barn they're building to build a blessed hope out there, you know? And I said, man, I forgot my Bible. That's what happened to it, right? He goes, no, right? He wrote back, it's, it's an NIV. I know you use an NASB. And I said, oh, you're building the foundation on the non-inspired version, bro? So he's going to dig it up out of there, you know? No, he's not. He's not going to do that. But uh, it's actually a very good translation. It's, not, it's, it's more kind of thought for thought than word for word, which I prefer more word for word, you know, uh, when you're doing a Bible study. But it's a very good reading Bible. So as I'm going through the Bible, uh, chapter by chapter, 
in my one-year plan, which I encourage you guys to do. Man, it's really awesome when you get in the Word. It's exciting. It's exciting. In fact, uh, uh, I have I spend a lot of my days, a lot of my hours of my day in the Word, and I've added that to it because I want to get through the Scripture uh, in about a year or so. And it's interesting because it strengthens my Bible studies because I'll be studying something totally different often. And actually, one of the stories I just went through recently in my uh, devotionals, as far as my year study, fits with my message quite a bit. I thought I'm going to put that in there, man, because that story arrested me, my consciousness, and it's pretty powerful. But it's interesting. Uh, in, first, in the NIV, it says, uh, uh, they, they teach that you know, godliness is, brings financial gain. Is, anybody, is that being taught today in the church? Mark laughs. Yeah, it is, man. What's that movement called? It's called the Word Faith Movement or the Prosperity Movement where it becomes all about, you know, we're king's kids and God wants us to be healthy and wealthy. He wants us to be rich and we just have to say the right words. And there's a whole theology around it that we are little gods, they say, because we're made in God's image and we're little gods. And because God spoke the universe into existence, we can speak wealth into existence. And many of them, the leaders, I've quoted them before, even say you can command God. They treat him like a genie. You can command him to give you money and give you riches and, and fame. And, of course, uh, these guys are driving the best cars you can get your hands on. They're private jets and everything else, but they're li living through the coffers of the donations that are being given for them. And they're using that money for themselves. Uh, so there's these teachings that God, you know, they'll say, hey, give, give so much money and God will give you a hundredfold back. And... It's heartbreaking. You know, a lot of times we'll have three or four mansions, you know. These are these top word faith teachers, prosperity teachers that have the biggest ministries on television and what have you. And, uh, and that's not, I mean, these guys would not even, with their love of money, they would not qualify as elders, as pastors, as, as Christian leaders, yet they are running a racket, you know. And a lot of, they have a lot of false teachings. They teach that Jesus had to suffer in hell for our sins and and he had to be born again, and he became a demoniac on the cross, Kenneth Copeland says. You know, he's like possessed and full of Satan on the cross. Ooh, that's just horrifying doctrine. Uh, but in 1 Timothy 6, look what he says. He says, you know, they teach that godliness is a means of financial gain or gain. Verse 6, but godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by what? Contentment, man. When you're content with what the Lord's given you, you know. I mean, he's blessed us so much, man. The air is free, you know. Your life is, you've been given life, physical life, as a free gift. But then you come to Christ, you get the free gift of eternal life. Your names, our names are written in heaven. We're joint heirs with him. I mean, I, I, that's a blow mine, man. That you are, a, through faith in Christ, that you are a joint heir with Christ, it says, Romans chapter 8. I mean, we should be just so thankful and I'm, I'm thankful every day. I try to be thankful for my salvation and try to recognize that I know I, me, myself, deserve hell. I know for my past as a non-Christian, just wasn't, you know, none of us, the Bible said we were all sinners. All the wages of sin is death, that we all deserve death. And, and uh, I am so grateful that he saved me. I'm so happy just to get in, amen, through what Christ did on the cross for us. is amazing. So anything else beyond that is even, you know, God is just more whipped cream on the cake, so to speak. The grace of life. And he says, but godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. And that means you're trusting Jesus, guys. You're saying, hey, I'm, I'm going through some things right now, whether you are or not, but, or I'm going to be going through some things. And like we say, you're either coming out of a trial, or you're in a trial, or you're going to go into a trial. You're in one of three spots, right? We always go through trials. We always go through tribulations, right? But you put your trust in the Lord, and he has us in the palm of his hands. Amen? Amen. For we, now, verse 7, I love. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. Why do you bring in the world? Nothing. Paul, so you're not going to bring in... I've always, I always say... When, I, have you ever gone to these... Uh, followed a hearse to a funeral? To the burial? Done that a number of times. I'm yet to see a hearse pulling a U-Haul, you know? And if it is, it's still not going with the guy that's pulling it, you know? Right? Amen? Amen? Verse 8. If we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. Food and covering. Be content with food and covering. Like I said, we're dressed better than, you know, a lot of people are just scrounging 
to get clothes. Verse eight, verse nine. But those who want to get rich, there's again, not those who are rich. Those who are rich are oftentimes in huge trouble. You know why? When I witness to people, the hardest people are rich. Witness to are rich people. You notice that? The hardest people to witness to are often rich people. Why? Because they think they have what? Everything. That's why Jesus rebuked the church of Laodicea. He's knocking on the church of Laodicea. You know, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears me, let him answer the door and open the door and I'll come into him and sup with them and you with me. He's, he's basically been booted out of the church of Laodicea. Why? He said, because you are rich. You, they're a wealthy church, you know. And you, and you say you are in need of nothing. There it is. It was a church that eventually became, and we have to watch out for that here in the United States. Amen? We have to realize our spiritual poverty so we can stay hungry for God. Amen? The very first beatitude in Matthew chapter 5, 5, 6, and 7 of the beatitudes, or the beatitudes of the first like 12 or so verses, but Sermon on the Mount, most famous sermon ever preached in the, on earth. But the very first words of that Sermon on the Mount and the first of the Beatitudes is blessed are the what? Poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. It's only when you're poor in spirit you recognize that you're spiritually bankrupt, that you're a sinner, that you deserve God's wrath, that you know deep down that you're guilty. We all have that problem, you guys, you know, of sin and that you need a cure and that you can't pay your debt without your own death unless God stepped in, which he did. And died on the cross for us and cried to Telestai, paid in full. Amen? He paid our debt on the cross. And we need to keep that mentality and always hunger and thirst for the Lord. Amen? Amen. And find our contentment in Him. And yeah, if you don't have food and covering, He said, with food and covering, man, we ought to be content. Now, if you don't have food and covering and you're a believer, we can encourage, we can lean on other believers to help us out. Now, if we refuse to work and we're being parasitical and sponging off of people, the Bible is very, very clear. Uh, if they don't work, don't let them eat, you know. Now, that doesn't mean if someone can't work, you know, you don't help them, but it means if someone's unwilling to work, right? So, because as Christians, we're supposed to be helping one another as well. And we're never more like the Lord than when we help others with our finances. For God so loved the world that he gave. We're, no, we're never more like the Lord than when we give out of love to people that are hurting. We can't give our blood to save someone from sin. You can give your blood to help people. You know, I think that's a great thing to do. But you can't save them from sin, but you can give of your own life. It blows me away when people will step up and give a kidney to someone who's hurting, knowing that they're only going to have one kidney left. And if that kidney gets, gets in trouble, then they're in real trouble. But Jesus gave it all, amen? Now look at what it goes on to say. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. Wow. Notice what it says. Just wanting to get rich, living for money, you know? And we've gone, I've gone to like Kenneth Copeland crusades where, you know, just huge, big, rich cars where his, and they're, they're cordoned off where he is. And then you see all the other cars, it's just regular folks, but wanting to Wanted to get rich, many of them. And we, I, didn't, I don't go there to listen. I'm in the parking lot. We set up camp and we pass out tracts. Giving tracts to Christians, professing Christians, warning them against the prosperity movement. You know, we've done that before. Uh, verse 10. For the love of money is the root of what? All sorts of evil. The King James says the love of money is the root of all evil. Uh, the Greek actually says all kinds or all sorts of evil which is better translated this way. The love of money isn't the root of all evil. It wasn't like Satan fell because he loved money, or Eve and Adam and Eve loved money, you know. They wanted, pride was the root of all kinds of evil, or the root of all evil, amen. But the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. I mean, think about the corporations that pollute the world, man, for the sake of greed, you know. And uh, the, the, the pollution that's on our planet because of people trying to duck responsibilities so they can make a lot more money. You know, that's, that's a serious problem, you know. For love of money is the root of all sorts of evil, the prostitution, pimps that run women, uh, all kinds of different things you can think of, the drug trafficking that's going on, 
you know, how many young people, we get maybe over 100,000 a year dying of different types of drugs. Heroin that's laced these days, you know, fentanyl and tons of people because it's greed. People, the drug cartels in Mexico that are about making just a ton of money so they can live luxuriously, don't think twice the leaders of poisoning our children, you know? And a lot of it is justified. The, the, uh, the, the music industry, man, the, the movie industry, they put out smut like crazy because it's all about addictions and everything else and getting people to accept the porno pornography uh, uh, companies and so forth. They're pumping all that stuff out, selling all kinds of, and they're targeting even Christians. I read years ago an article that said they target Christians because they know Christians will make the payments on their cards and stuff. I'm like, Wow. I think that's what they're thinking. The spirits behind them are thinking, get them, you know, because we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but those principalities and powers. Verse, uh, verse 10 again, for the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have what? This is heavy. Have what? Wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Wow. Man. So notice what it does. It's a snare. It brings... Uh, foolish and harmful desires that which plunge men into ruin and destruction, verse 9. And it causes people to wander from the faith, pierce themselves with many griefs. Verse 11, but flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue what? Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Why are you here tonight? Because you want to pursue the Lord. Amen? You want to pursue godliness, saying, Lord, I want to be like you. I want to know you. Praise God. That's what our lives should be all about. Amen? You made a good choice tonight. You know, and, and those of you watching my live stream, praise the Lord, you know, because that's hopefully all of our hearts. Amen? And I love what he says, verse 12, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. Amen? Or take hold of eternal life. In other words, don't go for just this life. Don't try to live for today. Don't make it all about here. Amen? Fight the good fight of faith. It's a war. Keep the faith. Keep your eyes focused on Jesus and lay hold of eternal life. Lay hold of Jesus, man. Paul talked about pressing on to the high calling of Christ Jesus. Amen. Jesus is the way, the truth, and he is the life. The Bible says, he that has the Son has the life. He that does not have the Son does not have the life, but the wrath of God abides on him. John 3.36. So he is our life. He's the one we should be clinging to. You know, Christ should be our lives. And this world, man, is getting crazier and crazier because, you know, more and more people, we're in time of apostasy, man. Things are getting darker, and people are falling away left and right. But many professing Christians are falling away because of the love of money, the love of riches, the love. Don't, don't fall into that, man. Don't fall into that. Because it brings, as, as it it's not, won't just cost you your soul. Jesus is what it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul, Amen but also causes destruction in this world. In fact, James talks about some of those things that Paul was uh, mentioning, the, the things that you'll pierce yourself with. James 4, verses 2 and 3 says, you desire and do not have, so you murder. Well, that's a bad thing that comes out of love of wanting money or things. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Cause a lot of problems in relationships and so forth. Uh, with neighbors and friends and spouses, too. can become a, It's a huge problem in causing divorces or being at the root of some divorces is, is one of the spouses, you know, being all focused on money. When, in your marriages, man, don't make, if you're fighting about money all the time, something's wrong. And it could be the irresponsibility of one that's just buying everything they see all the time. Maybe the person that's upset is getting upset because the other person is just greedy and just buys everything that they don't, a lot of things they don't need. Be careful of that. Amen? You know? There's some people where they just look through magazines and they just want this and they want that and they want this and then they get tired of this and they get tired of that and then all of a sudden, I mean, and, and look at all that money that's not being used for the kingdom of God. Amen? I mean, uh, that's heartbreaking. So uh, also forgive each other if you're thinking, yeah, he's talking about my spouse right now. Okay, be loving, <laughs> be merciful and talk about it, but don't strangle each other. And, and also, you know, Anger is, uh, be angry and sin not. Don't let the sun go down your anger. Don't be, you know, I don't want to start any fights here. I'm just saying we all have to use, you, we need to use our money for God's glory. Now, Paul goes on to say in 1 Timothy 6 that God's given us all things to enjoy, but he says, let the rich in this world 
bless others, okay? So if you have more than others, you should be sharing as well, you know, helping out others. Why well, work really hard for my money? Something wrong with that statement. For whose money? It's ultimately the Lord's money, amen? He, he gives to us, you know? And, and you have the right to, you know, spend your money as you choose in the Lord. We don't get specific in our fellowship and go to people specifically and say, if you don't give 10%, we're kicking you out of the church. We've never been about that, you know? It's before, between you and the Lord, you know? And this message really isn't about even giving to the church, okay? I, I, don't, I rarely do messages on that. Shame on me, because when the church hurts at times, I think it's because I do a bad job at that because I try to steer away from that. I'll have a message on giving pretty soon because some of these people say, I never even heard you give a message on giving. I talk about it once in a while. I don't have many messages on it, but I just crowd to the Lord, and Lord, please meet our needs because riches glory. And I believe that people that come here love Jesus, and they tend to give to one degree or another. And the Lord has taken care of the church through the years in various ways through various people, sometimes, you know, just in a very trippy way. <laughs> but uh, anyway, it's important that we understand that he says, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your, on your passions. So sometimes, like, you don't ask. You should be asking. Sometimes the Lord lets us go through trials with regard to our monetary situation to get us to pray, to cry out to him, to seek him, amen? And then when we seek him and we realize that he's the giver of, you know, he, he's, he's the one that supplies. It says in, uh, what is it, in uh, Philippians 4.19, that my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. Amen. And even when Paul said in Philippians that I know how to go with little and I know how to go with much, he says, what, I could, I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen. And that's very, very important. And it's, it's very, very important to get that. And so he goes on to say, uh, but oh, I, I ask, I ask the Lord all the time, you know, help me win the lottery, Lord. Help me win the lottery. Well, why are you asking him for that? Well, so I can help the church. Really? Is that right? Well, that's a blessing if that's the truth, you know, I think, because I don't know if that's worth the gamble, but may or may not be. That's between you and the Lord. But, well, it's so I can help the church, because if I give 10% of what I get, man, that's a lot of money for the church. Yeah, it's a lot of money for your passions, too. You know, what are you living for? Now, if you're like, no, Joe, really, I, I pray about that because I want to be a, a blessing in the kingdom of God. Well, praise God. It's a cool prayer, I guess, you know. I don't think I've ever bought a lottery ticket, but I think the odds are really small, you know. But uh, uh, there are people that win, though, right? Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Well, Joe, that's when you've got to speak against gambling at that point. Say what the Bible says about gambling. The Bible never has not one verse that says thou shalt not gamble. But there are a lot of verses that talk about being responsible with your money, though. Amen. So like when there's a baby, like we talked about Lily having a baby, I don't know if she has a pull, but if she has a pull that already puts in five bucks, it's, it gets the weight, and the winner gets that. We're not going to, oh, see this verse? It's like, what verse? No verse said you can't do that. Or we're on a fishing trip, at, and people throw in a few bucks to you know, whoever gets the biggest fish. The Bible doesn't speak against that. But the Bible does speak about being irresponsible. So if you're like, see, honey, let's go to Vegas this weekend. Well, then you go lose your shorts. Plus, Vegas, you've got to be very careful. It's kind of place, man. They call it Sin City for a reason, right? Amen. You know? So a lot of people get addicted to gambling, and the reason gambling becomes a problem for them is because the flesh is not... The Bible says those that belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its affections and desires. That means you've taken up your cross, you're following Christ. But if you have not crucified that flesh with its affections and desires and you want to be rich, you can fall into... The uh, gambling where it becomes a sin because you're not, you know, even if, you use a, if you're in the stock market, that's a form of gambling, believe it or not, right? You don't know what's going to happen, right? You're like hoping the money will, you know, so obviously we're not saying, uh, but we got to be wise with your money, amen? You'll say, hey, honey, you know what? I think the Lord's leading me to put all our, to cash out our mortgage, you know, sell our house and go to Vegas and just win it all. That probably wouldn't be very wise. No, I, I could change, I can be a little stronger on that, right? That would be foolish, okay? Well, what if the Lord showed me that? Well, <laughs> I'm going to say he probably didn't show you that, but, you know. So we've got to be very, very careful because the Bible says that greed is idolatry. And Hebrews 13.5 says, make sure that your character is free. Make sure your character is free from the love of money. Being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you. 
Never will I ever forsake you. I love that he follows up with that. I'll never leave you and I'll, I'll never forsake you. Meaning we have the Lord. He is our treasure. He created the entire universe, amen? And he won't leave us. He won't forsake us. He's there with us. And if we're making sure our characters are free of the love of money, we won't fall into idolatry. And what's a trip is that a lot of the idolatry in the Old Testament, we think of as worshiping wooden statues and so forth. That was a big part of it. There's a spiritual component too in Deuteronomy okay, and the book of Psalms and in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. All those portions of Scripture in the law, in the prophets, and uh, in the New Testament talk about how that there are demonic entities behind idols. That's because Satan knows if he can get you to worship a tree stump and keep you from God, that's all he needs to do, right? To keep you from heaven. But tree stumps don't work so well in our culture. Most people are like, you know, I don't know, we're becoming pretty messed up here in our country. People are worshiping all kinds of weird things. But money is an easy thing for the enemy to use. But even some of the idols in the past that they worshiped were associated with pleasure, with, with money, finances. In fact, what was one of the, name some of the most popular gods that God warned against in the Old Testament. Oh, I hear a lot of people saying Baal or Baal. Moloch. Baal or Baal was a god of the, of, he was the, he rode the clouds, man, so supposedly. He was a god of weather and he blessed people supposedly, by watering their lands. If you worshipped him, he'd give you all kinds of rainfall. So man, you, you just worship Baal and, and seek out Baal. And, and, uh, uh, and then guess what? You're a farmer. You're like, man, I've had some bad years. There have been some lean years. And guess what, man? I'm going to worship Baal. And all of a sudden, I'm going to get some rain. And that started happening where people in Israel would, would cave in. Maybe they're struggling financially. And then they compromise. They say, man, I'm going to worship Baal. And we have a story about that, which is every New Testament principle we talk about, there's an Old Testament illustration typically, right? And you see the scriptures warn about idolatry in the, old, in the New and the Old Testament. In fact, you know the strongest sin, the, mo the most prolific warnings throughout scripture, the most prominent warnings, the highest number of warnings against a certain sin is the sin of idolatry. That's because our human hearts that are fallen are prone. We're made to worship God. We're created to worship. But if you don't want to submit to God, you're going to end up worshiping something. I don't worship man. I put myself before everything. I worship. Well, you worship yourself. In the last days, terrible times come. Men will be lovers of self. So I say sometimes people shave their idol if you're a man or an exceptionally hairy woman. Okay. You know. So, but some people shave their idols, you know. And. And when they were worshiping Baal, they were worshiping him because they were expecting their crops to grow, which meant a boom in their agricultural life, and therefore they're selling and money, and they, oh, we can bless the kids and so forth. And there's a really interesting story uh, with King Ahab. You familiar with King Ahab? You know, a wicked king in, in the north, and he married Jezebel. Oh, when he married a woman, he took a wife from the territory where Baal was being worshipped. And Baal, as I said, he was the rider of the clouds. And when he took a wife from that territory, something interesting happened. A bunch of the farmers decided to erect a shrine to worship Baal. Okay? And that's in uh, 1 Kings chapter 16, 31. They're basically saying, hey, we want to welcome you to the neighborhood. You know, we're, we're new here, but guess what, Baal? We're going to worship you and so forth. Now, it's interesting because they're worshiping Baal, but a lot of them would also be synchronistic and say, well, I'm being faithful to Yahweh. I'm just kind of including Baal along in my worship. That's what a lot of professing Christians do, right? Well, I still go to church on Sundays. I just live for money too. But who's first? And I said, you can tell when money's before God, and that's when you break God's moral law for more money. That shows who you are. Shows that you're in huge trouble, that you're not trusting the Lord. The Lord wants you to trust Him, to meet your needs. And then if you starve to death, which you're not going to do, I've never seen the psalmist said, I've never seen the righteous begging for bread, okay? The Lord's going to take care of you. 
But even if you feel like, man, I'm going through really tough times, because sometimes you can go without food too, for a while. You know, Paul said he was in peril, and he had went through certain things, and he said he's sometimes without food. But he didn't have to resort to begging. The Lord always would come through eventually. We crowd to the Lord, though. So what happens today, we've got to be very careful. So what happened is they're worshiping Baal under King Ahab and his queen Jezebel, who the Bible says was a witch. And she was very anti-Yahweh. And she had, they had all these false prophets, even 450 of these false prophets at one time, seeking Baal on behalf of Ahab's kingdom. And it's quite interesting because Elijah was sent to confront the people. How long will you keep wavering between two opinions, worshiping Baal or Yahweh? You see, they were kind of trying to do both, some of them. And go, go to 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 20. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 20. And it's quite interesting here because uh, how long will you, you know, waver between two opinions? Or as NASB says, verse 20 says, So Ahab sent a message among all the sons of Israel and brought the prophets together at Mount Carmel. Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people did not answer him a word. So the people were still kind of stuck. And they're giving into pagan worship. And that's going on in the church today. All kinds of people living for wealth. We talked about the church of Laodicea. Christ was outside the church knocking, remember? Let me in. And I'll sup with you. But it's interesting because... God sent a drought on the land when they started worshiping Baal. Guess what? Baal isn't delivering now, is he? And in fact, look at 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. God was revealing his power over Baal, the false god. And we see this over and over again. Remember, God just demonstrated his power over the gods of Egypt with the ten plagues. And we've gone through that in some detail, showing that each plague was focused on one specific god at a time. And the last ones were, you know, like the ninth plague, I think it was darkness, because their highest god was Ra, which they sometimes amalgamized with Horus, who was, you know, the eye of Ra. So, he, you know, his, the sun was his, you know, his, you know they'd worship Ra. And God, God said, nope, I'm the, I'm the creator. I'm going to turn the lights out. You're worshiping Ra, guess what? I'm the, I'm the creator, and the sun belongs to me. It's not a god that rides in the sky. And he put the lights out, you know. Well, here he's going to judge. He's, he's showing them that he's in control of the rain. In fact, look at 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 20. So Ahab, uh, we read that, I'm sorry, 1 Kings 17, verse 1, you're there. Now Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the settlers of Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, because he's a living God, surely there shall be neither what? Dew nor rain these years, except by my word. Wow. And by the way, the Bible, when you look at Elijah, the whole story, he's praying in accordance with the word of God. And God caused a famine for 42 months. Can you imagine that? Could you imagine a famine for 42 months? Of, or could you imagine no rain in Southern California for 42 months? Then people would be really ticked off at the governor for not catching more rain, right? Not having more reservoirs. Well, uh, we read also that the Baal, the Baal worshippers went hungry during that time, man. They were struggling. Uh, but Elijah, he was given meat. He was given water by the Lord. The Lord took care of him. In fact, in 1 Kings 17, 6, look at that. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he would drink what? From the brook. Now think about this, man. That 42 months, by the way, what, what does 42 months remind you of anything prophetically? You guys said it, the Great Tribulation period. Amen. The Great Tribulation period will be of 42 months. And, and by the way, God's people will be persecuted, right? And they'll be worshiping the Antichrist. And the woman will flee into the wilderness, and that's Israel. We know it's Israel because of Revelation 12, the first few verses. The sun and the moon clothed with the stars, the 12 stars. That's taken from Genesis with Joseph and his brethren, and his mom and his dad. The patriarchs of Israel is Jacob, was the father of these 12 sons that were stars that would bow down to Joseph. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. These are the where the 12 tribes of Israel come from. That woman goes into the wilderness. Israel, in the tribulation period coming down the line, 
for 42 months. It says for 1,260 days. It says 42 months that there's persecution. It's all, it's all the same amount of period, three and a half years. Why is that important? Because guess who provides? Guess, guess what the temptation will be for Christians at that time? To take the mark of the beast so they could buy or sell. Because it says in Revelation chapter 13, verse 16 through 18, right, that he causes all the small and the great, the rich and the poor, the free and the bond to be given a mark on the right hand, which is the name of the beast or the number of his name, the right hand or the forehead. Uh, and it says that mark is either the name of the beast or the number of his name, and no one could buy or sell except they have the number of the beast, which is, you know, 666. And you'll have to take that mark if you're going to be able to buy or sell in the world. Now, years ago when I was a new Christian, it was hard to see people getting a mark on the right hand or forehead to buy or sell. For a couple of reasons. The technology wasn't there. Another reason, people were like, I don't want, people, I don't want my life invaded like that. You know? I'm not going to take some kind of people. But guess what? Today, technology's here. And number two, people are like, line up. Give me the jab or whatever, just without even thinking about it sometimes, you know. And uh, I'll take it to buy or sell. And who knows, it might even be tied to the health of the, of the world. And because you don't take this mark, because maybe it's part of the whole health thing in the end. And guess what? You're a polluter, you're a spreader of disease. Because it says Christians will be hated by all nations because of his name. We don't know exactly, but we know it'll be uh, uh, dealing with commerce and world government and so forth. But guess what? The Lord says he'll do with the woman that's there for 42 months during the tribulation period. And it says there'll be two witnesses that'll prophesy, amen? And some of the things they do are like Elijah and like what Moses did. That's why some people think the two witnesses are Elijah and Moses. People say, who is it? Well, I don't think you can be sure. You can't be dogmatic because it doesn't say these are who the two witnesses are. But they do a lot of miracles like Elijah and Moses. But I don't personally believe it will be Moses or Elijah. I believe they are types or pictures of the two people that it will be. Uh, I, I believe that they may pick me a picture of one of them uh, because <laughs> I'm going I'm to get way off, you know. But I'll just say this. When you look at the two witnesses, there's two people that are used by God to rebuild the temple in the Old Testament. And they're his two olive branches, it says. And it's interesting because one is a spiritual leader, Joshua, and one is a, a, a civil leader, okay, Zerubbabel. And those two are used by God as these olive branches that bring forth the, the situation to rebuild the temple. And it says, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. And God does it. Well, guess what? In the end of days, it's going to be really hard to build the temple. How could that happen with the Muslims and everything rebuild? Well, guess what? God will probably use these two witnesses. And those two guys are, so, oh, now I know who it is. It's Joshua and Zerubbabel. No, I'm not saying that either. I'm saying they look like a picture of the two witnesses as a typology. So it could be a Israeli, possibly, political leader in Israel, who knows, and a spiritual leader that stands up for the one true God, Yahweh. We don't know for sure, though. And I, I, don't, I, never, I don't like to play pen the, pen the till in the Antichrist until it's very clear who the Antichrist is. Uh, I don't ever pick the day and the hour. People ask, is it getting close? When do you think it'll be? I'm like, I don't, I don't talk like that, man. I don't want anybody to ever be able to say, and I don't ever want to be disgraced on God's name, that Joe picked a date, you know? Because people pick dates all the time. And it, it hurts your reputation, and it's not good for you if I do that. I just know what the signs say, and I don't know anyway. <laughs> so I'm not even going to guess the date. I know what the scriptures say about the signs, though. But I love this because God takes ravens and feeds Elijah. God gives him water. And God's going to take care of his people. Well, you're saying he's helping the Jews there, but what about the Gentile believers? Well, then it says Satan goes after those who have the testimony of Jesus and keep the commandments of the Lord. Right after that in chapter 12. And that God is not partial. Amen? That we're all part of his kingdom. And he'll take care of us. And you know, there's a lot of scriptures I can go into that, but uh, we're not in Revelation right now. We're in 1 Timothy 3.3 and we're all over the Bible actually. So this is a really cool story because what happens here is God provides for Elijah. He takes care of him. And they're dying. And, and it, he even takes care of those folks that are dying because of their sin, because of Elijah's, uh, because of, you know, he, Baal's people, people that are worshiping Baal and follow him as God, they're dying, and God uses Elijah to even take care of them. In fact, look at 1 Kings chapter uh, 18, or chapter, mm, well, just move down to the chapter we're in, to verse 22, chapter 17, 20, verse 22. 
He, the Lord, that is, uh, uh, the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, who was crying out to him, right? And the life of the child returned to him, and he revived. He revived. He, he was dead. Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper room under the house and gave him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord is in your, in your mouth is truth. Isn't that interesting? That's a picture, I believe, of the tribulation period, that God's going to be using Christians, right? Your old men will have dreams. Your young men will see visions, right? Your, your daughters will prophesy, right? In the end times when things go nuts and things go crazy, God's taking care of believers in the wilderness or when we're being persecuted. I believe he's going to use us in all kinds of miraculous ways. And Elijah is a picture of believers at that time. That means I should expect miracles at that time? No, you should seek the Lord, but expect that he can do miracles in your life at that time and that he will supernaturally, providentially take care of you in one way or another. He might take care of you by letting you get your head cut off. Amen? Be absent for the bodies to be present with the Lord. Amen? So uh, we just let God be God, and that's where faith comes in. That's where trust comes in. So it's really interesting. And while these people are like starving and stuff, and, and, and God's even taking care of some of them through Elijah, and who knows how many other people are being taken care of, because it's just, we read about Elijah, but Elijah's like, I'm the only one left. And God says there's 7,000 men who have not bowed their knee to Baal, Elijah. So he's doing all kinds of crazy things probably. Now, 1 Kings 18.5, it says, Then Ahab, the evil king, said to Obadiah, Go through the land to all the springs of water and to all the valleys. Perhaps we will find grass and keep the horses and mules alive and not have to kill some of the cattle. So guess what, man? Ahab now is feeling it, isn't he? This is a whole long story, but I'm cutting to the chase. with a lot. Of, it's, it's, and he's like, man, his own animals are dying. Find something somewhere. But Elijah's being taken care of. So Elijah, or Ahab, the evil king Ahab, he uh, depends on these 450 false prophets to show that Baal is God and to honor Baal. Hopefully Baal will finally deliver them and bail them out, which isn't going to happen. Uh, read in chapter uh, 18, or verse 18, I'm sorry. Chapter 18, verse 29. And we see how desperate they got. They got so desperate, these false prophets, they began to cut themselves, offering their own blood to get Baal to consume the, the sacrifice. And we read in verse 29, when midday was passed, they raved until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. But there was no voice. No one answered. And no one paid attention. It's, that's, that's a trip. <laughs> Where's your God? You know, Elijah mocks them, by the way. He, he does, you know, as a prophet, he does some trash talking as a trash talking prophet. He's like, where's your God? Is he sitting on the toilet? You know, I think that's the New Living Translation or the Living Translation. Is your God, on, I think the King James says he's relieving himself, you know. Is he going to the bathroom? Where's your God? That's what Elijah says, basically. And well, guess what? God delivers when Elijah cries out to God. In chapter 18, verse 38. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water uh, that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces. And they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Then Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them and Elijah brought them down to the brook of Kishon, and slew them there. Wow. So it's interesting. The heart of the people started to realize who the one true God is. You guys, they were worshiping Baal because they're like, man, we're going through some hard times. You know, Yahweh doesn't seem to be providing the way we want him to. Let's worship Baal. And man, we'll get really great crops. And it was about money. It was about the economy, you guys. Guess what? Lord said, no, I'm in control of everything. So you start worshiping false gods instead of the one true God, God will discipline you, man, and will drive that up. Don't judge. I'm sorry. The Bible says judge yourself so you will not be judged. You don't want to be judged by God. Judge yourself and make sure you worship the one true God, Yahweh. Amen? And sometimes we'll be tested to see whether we'll worship the true God or not. And sometimes false prophets will come in. In Deuteronomy 13, it says sometimes God will allow a false prophet to come among you, a dreamer of dreams, and have a dream that even comes to pass. And, but then they'll tell you to go after different gods. Don't follow after them because there are true supernatural abilities 
from satanic rule, the rulers of darkness of this world. The scriptures tell us this. Now, we're told over and over again by Jesus. Jesus is our Lord. He's our Savior, man. He's the one that saved you and me out of the pit. Amen? He's the one that's given us eternal life. He said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Amen? Jesus is the word of life. Amen? So we need, what does Jesus say about money? What does he say about living for riches? Jesus said in Luke 16, 13, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Okay? Same thing in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. You cannot serve two masters. It says the same thing. You can love the one, hate the other, hate the one, love the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon is just a word for wealth. If you put wealth before God, you'll start to despise God, it says. That's what Jesus said. You'll end up despising him. Do not do that. Remember Jesus' teaching? It's idolatry. I've been talking about being idolatry over and over again. Remember Jesus talked to the rich young ruler? And he came to Jesus, what must I do to enter the kingdom of God? Jesus says, have you obey all the commandments? That's plan A. If you can be perfect, you get in. Did anyone be perfect? No. He goes, oh, I've kept all these. Really? Well, Jesus says, well, one thing you lack. And he basically tells him the very first of the Ten Commandments, he couldn't even keep that. He said, sell everything you have and follow me. And it says Jesus looked at him and he loved him. Yeah, he does so love the world, even those that don't come to him. Thus saith the scripture. He loved that rich man. And that rich man turned away and was grieved, it says, because he had much, many riches. He wasn't going to put Jesus first. And we could be like that guy. Oh, I'm obeying God's commandments, but really riches are before him. The things of this world. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, do not love the things, do not love the world or the things of the world. For all that is of the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And the world's passing away and the lust thereof. But he that does the will of God abides forever. James 4 4 it says, You adulteresses. So it's not spiritual adultery. Don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever makes himself a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. As Christians, we're not supposed to be of the world. We're in it, but not of it. Jesus says, I've chosen you out of the world. Amen. We need to make sure we are living for Jesus. So Jesus warned this rich young ruler about his idolatry. That's just so heavy. When the man heard this, it says in Matthew 19, verse 22, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, truly I tell you, it's hard for someone uh, who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And of course, the disciples are like, how can anyone be saved then? He says, with man, it's impossible. With God, all things are possible. Amen. This is why Jesus warned in Luke chapter 12, verse 15. Then he said to them, beware and be on your guard against every form of greed, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of of his possessions. Man, even if you have a lot, that's not your life. You're not going to be ultimately blessed in that. Jesus gave the parable of the sower, right? Remember that? Remember one of the uh, plants that actually came up and there was life for a little bit, rep representing regeneration in Mark 14, Mark 4:19. But the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires of other things enter and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. The desire for wealth. The deceitfulness of riches choke the word out of God's people. Because guess what? You're no longer in the word because you're so focused on chasing money. And then money becomes your God. And it chokes God's word out of your life. If you find yourself more into chasing money than in the word of God, and that's what you think about, you have to get your priorities right, man. This is serious, serious stuff. He warned his disciples about a farmer. He gave a parable about a farm, farmer who lost you know, his soul, because he lived for wealth. And we face retirement. Some of us are getting older, you know, and say you're in retirement age, and it's like, oh, I want to just live for myself now. Don't do that. Live for Jesus. Because Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, verse 16, and he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself saying, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there, there I'll store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merrier. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll. 
Verse 20, But God said to him, You fool, this very night your soul is required of you, and now what will, uh, who will own what you have? And I'm giving you teaching after teaching after teaching after teaching from Jesus' lips where he warns us. Amen? He told in Luke chapter 16 about a man, who, a rich man, who he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, joyously living in splendor every day. Purple was incredibly hard to get in those days. So if you're wearing purple, don't feel bad, okay? Okay? I know I just went through my shirts, and I just like look, and then I grab a shirt. You know, I don't think a whole lot about it, you know. And some, I, I saw a purple shirt. I'm glad I didn't grab it because everybody's saying, oh, he's wearing purple tonight. But in those days, man, you know how many, how many creatures you had to kill to get purple? It was thousands to get a purple garment at times. And blue was really hard to come by too. You don't see a lot of blue in nature. Did you notice that? It's the sky. It's a heavenly color, you know. But it's interesting because uh, this guy was very, very rich. And, but in verse 23, it says in Hades, because he went to hell, or he went to Hades, I should say. He didn't go to the second death yet, the lake of fire, which is hell. But he went to Hades. He lifted his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham afar off, or far away, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to me to dip his finger in water so he can cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this, in this flame. Then in Matthew chapter 25, remember the sheep and the goats? One reason the goats go to the lake of fire, or he says, depart from me, you curse into everlasting fire, prepare for the devil and his angels. Depart from me into eternal punishment, he says, is because, guess what? His brethren, which were the sheep, were in need at a bunch of different times, and the goats never did anything to help them. I was hungry, Jesus says, and you didn't feed me. You know, I was thirsty, you didn't give me a drink. I was in prison, you didn't invite me. Well, wait, when was that? Lord, he goes, when you didn't do it to the least of these, my brother, you didn't do it to me. But guess what? Those, the sheep that make it, right? When I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. Amen? That's the Christians. Well, how, when do we do that to him? When you did it to the least of these, my brother, you did it to me. We are the body of Christ. When you are a blessing to your brothers and sisters in Christ, and you are a giver rather than a parasite, you seek to help people and love people, you're in need. That doesn't make you a parasite. But if, that, but if you live for yourself, and that's all about you, you don't help other people, you don't share your time, you don't share your talent, not just talking about money here, time, talent, and treasure are the th three of the things that the Lord's given us. We should be sharing our time with others, amen? That, to me, is the most valuable thing. Time, our talent, and our treasure with one another. Amen? And we should, we should be seeking the Lord and, 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 and crying out to Him and growing in Him. So it's very interesting when you look at these passages because uh, Paul deals with this sin of idolatry as well as, as greed. Greed. A love for money being idolatry. And remember, idolaters go to the lake of fire, Revelation 21.8. Idolaters don't enter the heavenly city, Revelation 22.15. And Colossians 3.5, Paul says, Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed. Now this says, he says, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. Ephesians 5.5. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater, a guy that covets, loves money, or loves things more than God, who is an idolater, has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. That's, that's gnarly, guys. And guess what? When, when he's addressing Christian leaders and elders, and he says in 1 Timothy 3, 3, see the very end of the verse, that they're not to be lovers of money, that can be a problem with Christian leaders. It can be very, very subtle. You know, say, for instance, the church is struggling and people aren't giving the way they ought to be giving. And all of a sudden, the pastor, I'm a pastor, then the pastor's tempted to, well, you know what? I'm going to just preach soft messages now because we need more people to pay the bills. And I know people, I know we've lost a lot of people because I know I preached on you know, some sin and, you know, don't talk. But I, this, this person left because I preached this and that person left because I preached that and this person left because I confronted them. And Well, then all of a sudden they start compromising the gospel to become bigger. And you get these seeker-sensitive churches, right? These purpose-driven churches where they try to be real positive and, or they try to bring in a lot of entertainment and entertain people so they can just draw a lot of people. But we have to stick to the Word of God. They drop the words like Rick Warren did, repentance. 
They disobey 1 Timothy chapter 2. He, Rick Warren, by the way, was just kicked out of his church. Saddleback was just kicked out of the Southern Baptist Convention, which is the biggest Protestant convention on the, in, in the nation. Because right before he left, he ordained three women as pastors, knowing that it was not only against, well, I can't say I know his heart, but even though the scriptures speak against that in 1 Timothy 2, which we studied in some depth, actually, a few months back, but also the SBC, it was against their teaching. But now he's trying to appeal it, and he's trying to turn the SBC to just go against Scripture. And eventually, you know, a lot of these guys, they'll start with that. Then they'll go into homosexuality, and we need to accept people that are homosexual. And, you know, where does it stop? I believe eventually it's going to end up with pedophilia. Personally, I believe that to one degree or another. Now, it's interesting because... I have a whole thing I want to go through. I only had nine pages. That's short. And I have a whole thing on Balaam I want to take you through. But uh, I'll probably do that next week. Maybe we'll see where it fits. But uh, I'm looking at that clock. I'm like, I ain't going to do it. I ain't going to be able to do it. So uh, and not say what I want to say because it's really a trip. I wanted to end with that because I mentioned some stuff in my own devotional life that really fit the message. And it's a, it's a trip because... There's some things with Balaam. You're like, what's going on here? And, you know, uh, Annie and I were talking about it, you know, some interesting little twists there uh, as far as, wait, it's like God said he can go, and then God gets upset that he goes. What's going on there? And then where does it say in the text that he was greedy? Because it doesn't seem like he's greedy. So those are two questions, but they're, they're instructive to us when you look at That's what I love about the Bible difficulties. When you solve them, you, there's a burst of light. But one of the things that we need to, Keep in mind, brothers and sisters, man, even though I'm talking to you, I'm telling you this right now, don't waver between two opinions, whether you should follow the Lord and put him first or put a pursuit of materialism first. How do I put no that materialism is, my, is, is idolatry in my life? Again, if it's causing you to break God's moral law, where you're, you're, you're breaking, you're, you're going against things, you're lying, you're cheating, you're stealing, you're cutting edges that break God's heart, then it, that's idolatry. That shows that you care more about money than obeying the Lord. If you love me, Jesus said, you obey my commandments. Amen? Or you might say, hey, you know what? I'm getting my money honestly, man. I did pray, and well, I don't know if I prayed about it, but I won the lottery, and it wasn't illegal in what I did, but I just don't have time for church anymore and fellowship because I have, I'm going to Tahiti next week, and Three weeks after that, I'm going to his place. And a month after that, we're going here. And, you know, look at how the Lord blessed us. And you're just not in the word anymore, man. Like the, like the man of God prayed, Lord, don't give me too little where I'm tempted to steal, but don't give me too much where I forget you. So wealth can bring a lot of dangers. And it can be very, very subtle. Amen? I mean... I encourage you to be here to hear the Word of God. But not just to hear the Word of God. I encourage you to be here. You know why it's important to be here? So you can encourage your brothers and sisters. That's why I tell the elders. You know, the elders know the Word pretty well, but they need to be here because they need to be encouraging their brothers and sisters in Christ. The two main times we meet are Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings, right? So, you know who hasn't been here in a long time? Nick. Where is Nick? I'm just kidding. He, he's in Idaho. That's a good excuse. <laughs> and praise God. Lord bless them. But I'll tell you what, guys, but it's important for all of us to be here because the Bible says, I can't say the hand, I have no need of you. We need each other. And that's the way we give, is we pray with each other. We have that body life, amen? I want to encourage you, you know, go out with people, disciple people, be discipled. If you're new in the faith, just keep growing in Christ and you're being discipled on Wednesdays, hopefully, Sunday mornings when you're here, by your brother, maybe Bible studies you find in the church, you know, uh, good, godly, you know, reading the word yourself, you know. But if you've been a believer for a while, you should be discipling someone. Go into all the world, right? And preach the gospel to all the nations, right? Baptize them in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? Teach them to observe everything that I've commanded you. But he says also in there, making disciples, right? Of all the nations. Making disciples. So I want to encourage you to be pouring your life and your heart into others. You know, if you're a young believer 
you're like, man, I'm not very old in the Lord. I don't know much about the word. You know, start getting together with an older believer. Amen? That, that has a heart to give. And like I said, that's when you're most like the Lord. God so loved the world that he gave. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Amen? God is a giving God. And we are his image bearers. Amen? So we're supposed to reflect his image. And that's when we're walking. Not when we're greedy, wanting more and more. That's not how the Lord is. The Lord's a giver. Amen? And you, are a lot, you become like the Lord when you become a giver. So give of your time, pour into others, and of your talent, praise God, and of your treasure to God's kingdom. This life is short. And then guess what? When you face the Lord, you'll hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You won't be a goat that's sent to the lake of fire because I was thirsty, you didn't give me any drink. I, I, I was hungry, you didn't give me anything to eat. You know, you'll be like, man, I ministered to my brothers and sisters in Christ. And by ministering to your brothers and sisters in Christ, you minister to Jesus. For what you've done, at least of these, my brother, you've done unto who? Me. Let's minister one to another. Amen? And praise God. I mean, you know, be a blessing, man. Live for the Lord, you know? And, uh, and you got to make money, I know. Don't, don't think, man, I'm quitting my job. I'm so convicted. I'm quitting my job tomorrow. That's not what I'm talking about. If you don't work, you don't eat, it says, right? So if you're unwilling to work, you know, don't let them eat, you know? So, but guess what? Paul says, work with your hands so you'll be able to share with others who are in need. You know that? That's one reason you work. So when you work, it says, do everything on the Lord and do your work on the Lord. So if you're flipping burgers or whatever you do, do it for Jesus, amen? Say, man, now I've got to take care, you know, Lord's got to take care of my own needs, praise God. But if I have extra, I can help out others. Amen? But if we spend just with, we just lust after everything we see, like Lot's wife, we won't have anything to share with others. So let's not live for ourselves. Does that mean I can't get a nice dress or I can't? No, I'm not saying that. But you don't need 250 nice dresses when you don't wear 210 of them, you know? Uh, don't look at any ladies. I'm not thinking of anybody, okay? God, I can't believe you looked at me when you said that, you know. <laughs> Praise God. I love you guys. And uh, just, that's, I, I camp out on this verse because it's important in the body of Christ right now. Amen. And hopefully the Lord speaks to our hearts. Let's pray. Father God, we love you so much. And